And we're reading from 1 Peter 2, verses 13, all the way to verses 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious saying. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly, what credit it is, is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the, in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strange like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of, of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to our series in First Peter. Those who are joining us, we are having series in First Peter. And uh, as uh, Pastor Dave and the preachers who have come before me uh, pointed out, the book of First Peter is basically about the elect exile. God's people who are not yet home, God's people who are not yet uh, with their creator as it were, God's people who are chosen by him for his own purposes, but they are still living as aliens, as foreigners, as it were, uh, in a foreign land. And uh, that's true of the people that Peter was writing to, and it's equally true to us. We are God's people but we are not yet home. We are, we are not yet with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's uh, what um, we are looking at. And last week, Pastor David was uh, actually looking at um, this whole idea of who we are, of our identity in in Christ, as it were. And I just want to quickly read uh, the key verses uh, in that passage that he shared with us last week. Verses 9 to 10 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, uh, for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once he had not received mercy, but now he has received mercy. So, in the previous um, passage, Peter has been trying to remind them of their identity in Christ. To say, who are you in Christ? And as we are seeing here, they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. They are God's people. They belong to God. And they were chosen by God to display, as it were, or to declare his praises, says Peter. So he has been up to their identity, who they are in Christ. That's what he has been sort of uh, trying to uh, teach them, uh, who they are in Christ. And he say, he's saying to them, you are a chosen people, a priestly nation, people who have been drawn into a privileged fellowship with God because of what Christ did uh, for them uh, in Christ. So that's what uh, Peter has been up to. But now, as we look at the passage that is before us, what is he now talking about? He was talking about their identity. But now, as we read verse 13, the first verse uh, from our passage that was read to us uh, tonight, it begins by saying, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether be it uh, to the emperor a supreme or to the governors as sent by him uh, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So what Peter is actually doing in this passage, he's trying then to say, okay, your identity is that you are God's people, you are chosen people as it were. But he, he now moves on to say, what should you do? How should you carry yourself as you live ex exiles in this foreign land where you are? How should you live? Your identity in Christ is that you are now God's people, as it were. But now he's now focusing on how they should behave now that they are in Christ. So that's what what, what, what Peter is trying to get at in this passage. And now the first uh, few verses, verses 13 to 17, he's looking at how they should carry themselves before the face of the world or how they should behave in relation to the state, in relation to the country, in relation to rulers. How should we carry ourselves? We are exiles. Yes, we are chosen, we are God's people, but we are not yet home with the Lord Jesus. We are still living here in exile. How should we live as exiled, as exiled people in relation to rulers and governors? And Peter is saying your attitude should be that of submission, should be that of obedience, should be that of servitude, of wanting to serve God, as it were. So he's actually making an application of the teaching that he has just taught them about their identity in Christ. He's saying your identity in Christ looks like this in day-to-day -day life, especially as it relates to state authorities. 
I'm not quite sure what your attitude is like uh, when it comes to the government and all those that are in authority. Uh, but I know I can speak for myself. I know for sure it's not always easy for me to uh, submit uh, to the government, especially if they are not doing right things. I feel like I do have all the right not to submit to them because they are not doing good. But, but Peter, remember, Peter is not talking to people whose rulers were Christians. Peter is talking to people whose governors and rulers were pagans. And he's saying, you do have a calling from God to submit to them. So God's people are called to mirror or to show their identity by submitting to those in authority. Our submission is not conditional. But having said that, I'm sure some of you are asking the very question that I raised. But what if these state authorities are masterminders of evil, are perpetrators of evil. What do I do? Surely we do have a God-given responsibility to be the prophetic voice and speak against any evil that is within our society. But that is no license for us to be disobedient to those that are in authority. We can condemn evil, but we do have our civil responsibilities. And we do have to do them, and do them gladly. So Paul is saying, uh, sorry, Peter is saying to them, this is what it looks like to live ex as exiles. This is what it looks like to be God's people. It means being in submission to those in authority. Now, if you look at me at verse 15 there, Peter is giving a reason for God's people to actually submit to leadership, to those in authority. And what is that reason? Verse 15 there. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we are not submitting to those in authority just as a societal kind of good. There's much more to that. It's witness. It's Christian witness, as it were. We are actually testifying as we are living in submission to those that are in authority. Now, to those believers who were living during Peter's time, there were lots of accusations that were leveled against them. They were seen as disobedient uh, kind of citizens, as people who were ready to sabotage whatever it is the government was doing, as people, they were accused even of cannibalism. 
Peter is saying to God's people, and I think he was also saying to us, we need to submit to those in authority so that God's name may not be maligned, as it were. So that people will not have a case against God's word, as it were. So it's not just submitting for the sake of submitting. It's submitting because we are actually submitting to God. Because ultimately, that's what it is. For this is the will of God. That God's people should submit to those that are in authority. I think there was a challenge. I think there was a problem that was going on in the churches that uh, Peter was writing to. I think they sort of misunderstood their freedom. They gloried in the fact that they were a chosen race, they were God's people, and maybe because of that, they thought, we can live anyhow. We are not of this world. Therefore, we can live anyhow. No, says Peter. You are not of this world. Therefore, you should live as those people who are of Christ's world in this fallen world. I think those who are foreigners in this room, they know that if you don't abide by the South African rules and laws, it doesn't take an hour for them to deport you. So, Christians, verse 16 there, sort of giving us how Christians how Christians should exercise their freedom. Verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover for evil. But living as servants of God. So our freedom as God's people does not mean that we have to be lawless. Our freedom as God's people does not mean that we have to be disobedient to those that I know thought it. But it actually means the opposite. That we should live as God's servants. According to verse 16. Instead of living as lawless people, Christians are to live as servants of God. Friends, as servants of God, we should use our freedom to treat everyone with honor to love one another, to revere or worship God, to honor the state and its leadership. Christian freedom is freedom in bondage. In that, we have been freed from a life of sin and we are now bound, as it were, to a life of righteousness. Isn't that what Peter says 
um, in verse uh, 24 there. If you can look with me in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christian freedom is freedom in bondage. In that we have been freed from the life of sin and are now bound to the life of righteousness. Like we discovered this morning for those who were in our morning service as uh, Royden was preaching, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. God's people, because of who they are in Christ, are to pursue things that are helpful, that are beneficial, that are profitable. To which extent should you and me submit to civil authorities? Where do we draw the line? I think it's a very important question to ask. I think when the state is openly stopping us from worshipping God, we have every reason to rebel. Because Peter says, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It is rather better to obey God than to obey man. So whenever there is some kind of conflict between those in authority and God, we should choose God rather than man. The kind of submission that, Paul, uh, that Peter is talking about here is not passive submission. It's active submission whereby Christians are to be ready to condemn any unjust evil practice that the governments may perpetuate. So we need to be actively involved. We need not withdraw. Yes, our identity is that we are God's people. But we are God's people in exile. We are God's people in South Africa. We are God's people here on earth. And we have to live meaningful lives. And we have to engage with our society in a much more meaningful way. Peter is calling us to active submission. Not just mere passive submission. And withdraw from the society as it were. We need to be involved in a very active, positive manner. We need to be involved in such a way that brings glory and honor to our king. So, they are God's people. And this is how they should live in relation to those that are in authority. Then Peter moves on to verse 18, uh, up to the end of the chapter. And what is he doing there? He's saying this is how you should live in relation to 
your work. Are there any people who enjoy their work? Ah, good, good, good to know. Our preachers, none of our preachers raised their hand. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure whether they do enjoy it. Live as God's people in your workplaces. Peter continues. Servants, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrow, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I know some of our some of our workplaces are not uh, great places for us um, because of that boss of yours that uh, is always uh, bullying you and, uh, you know, doing all sorts of bad things to you. But uh, you are still called to live for Christ in that context. I'm still called to live for Christ in that context. So God's people are to live for God in their work environments. It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. So we ensure because we are conscious of God, because we know that we are servants of the Most High. Listen to how John Stott puts it. Slavery to Christ transforms servitude into freedom. Slavery to Christ transforms servitude into freedom. We can enjoy our service even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because we are slaves of Christ. Because we have died to sin and are now living to righteousness. We can live for Christ. We can save for Christ and ensure through difficult circumstances because of who we are in Christ. Because of our identity in Christ. But what motivation is there for God's people to live for God as it were? So Peter is saying, live for God in relation to those in authority. Live for God in relation to your workplace. But what motivation is there for me to live for God? 
in these two difficult environments. Verses 21 to 23. I think Peter gives us the motivation there. And the motivation is twofold. Verse 21. For to you, sorry, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, uh, suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How can we be motivated to live for God in this interim period? Peter says, look at the example of Christ. Christ has set an example for us. Though he was reviled, though he was, I mean, buffeted by challenges from all angles, he did not retaliate. He did not give up. Christ's example can actually motivate us to live godly lives. Look with me in verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet, he suffered. In fact, we just confessed when we were uh, doing our confession, our, 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 our Apostles' Creed, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered a great deal for no reason. He was sinless. No deceit was found in him. Yet, he suffered and he endured. Friends, there are times when we feel like we haven't done anything wrong to deserve this suffering. You don't have to have done something wrong to go through suffering. How does Peter put it in verse verse 21 there? For to this you have been called. To what? To suffering. Suffering is part of what it means to be Christian. It's unavoidable for Christians. We suffer differently. We suffer in, in various ways. But we do suffer. You guys, you don't understand how difficult it is to stand on this podium and preach. It's some kind of suffering too. (laughs) No matter how smart you are, once you are here, the stress levels goes up. (laughs) 
God's people can ensure going through what they are going through because they are looking at the example of Jesus Christ who suffered on our behalf. Christ suffered not for his own sake, but for the sake of God's people. He suffered for their salvation, for our salvation. So, as we follow him, we suffer for his sake of winning others for sake. We suffer for his sake of winning others to his gospel. How else can we be motivated to live for God in this fallen world? Verses 24 and 25. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ's example is our motivation for living for God. But more than that, Christ's atoning sacrifice a motivation for living for God in this fallen world. Leighton, one of the theologians, puts it this way. Christ's business was not only to rectify sinful men by his example, but to redeem him by his blood. Christ suffered not only to the point of death, but to death as one accursed. And he did that for our redemption, for our salvation. And let us look a bit more closely and see what was the effect of Christ's death as it were. In us, which can be a source of motivation for us to live for him. Christ's death for us had a tremendous positive effect on us. And what is that effect? I want you to see what Peter is saying here in verse 24. Christ's death, what did he he do? The second half of verse 24. He he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. I don't know whether you are seeing that phrase. That we might die to sin. Christ died for us so that you and me can die to our old selves. 
When we speak of salvation, when we speak of Christ dying for us, dying on the cross for our sins, it's not a simple thing. It's a profound thing. It had a tremendous positive effect on us. Christ's death on the cross crucified us to our old self. Christ's death made us dead to sin. It has liberated us from sin's hold on us. Sin no longer has control over us. We have been liberated from sin, as it were, because of what Christ did. We have been delivered from the power and guilt of sin, though we are still living in the presence of sin. But we are no longer mastered by sin. We are no longer controlled by sin, as it were. We are now controlled by God himself. In fact, the Holy Spirit is in us as a down payment of our salvation. So being a Christian means dying to sin. Means you are no longer controlled by sin. Sin is no longer firing the shots in your life. Sin is no longer the king. The king is now the Lord Jesus. He's the one who is now reigning, who is governing, who is giving direction to your life. Maybe if you are still under the control of sin, maybe it's a good time to ask yourself whether you are truly saved. Because the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, has actually liberated us from the hold of sin on us. We are no longer captured by sin. We are now captured by Christ. So we should, we should be motivated to live for Christ because when we became Christians, we were capacitated as it were to live for Christ. God in Christ capacitated us to live for him. We have capacity to live for God. We do. Not in, in and out of ourselves. But in Christ, we do have capacity to live for God. So, we should be motivated by that. It's doable. We can live for God. Not by ourselves. But in Christ, we can So Christ has actually delivered us from the hold of sin. But not only did he deliver us from the hold of sin. Look with me, uh, the second half of verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And live to righteousness. 
We die to sin as we live to righteousness. We die to sin as we live for God. So is it possible for us to submit to those in authority? Is it possible for me to be godly in my workplace? Yes, it is. And how is it possible? Because Christ has left us his example for us to follow. How is it possible? Because Christ, by dying for us on the cross, has actually capacitated us to live for him. Because his death meant our death to sin and life to righteousness. So it's possible. Is it easy? It's not. But it's possible. I'm not trying to teach perfection here. That we can attain perfection this side of heaven. We can never attain perfection. But can we be godly people? We can. Can we live for God? We can. Because God, through his atoning sacrifice, he has made us dead to sin. And he's made us alive to righteousness. Christian behavior flows from Christian identity. We are God's chosen people. Therefore, we have to live for God. We can live for God in this strange pagan world because of who we are in Christ. Friends, now that we have died to sin and that we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, let us go and live for God in our communities and in our workplaces. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this evening. We want to thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your love and we thank you for Jesus. Because it is only possible for us to live for you because of who we are in Christ. Because of what you have done for us on the cross. So we are so grateful for such a great salvation. And we pray that you help us as we go out our separate ways to declare the praises of him who called us. For Christ's sake I do pray. Amen.